When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alrighty, swimming upstream episode fifty-eight. The first—I I would say this is the first podcast that will drop under the new era of Fish on First with the new website. But uh, we are here as always. Uh, my name is Kevin Barral, your host. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, cre- the creator of Swimming Upstream, the founder, if you want to say, Alex Carver. Alex, we actually have a lot to talk about, despite no, you know, limited movement in the major league level. There are a lot of minor league stuff we have to go through. Yeah, uh, definitely, for sure. Um, mostly related to international stuff, right? I uh, got some big news today on Andrew, which we'll go through that. Uh, also, just coming off of uh, learning a little bit more about these prospects that uh, the Marlins got in the uh, this uh, this signing class. So we'll talk about those as well. Um, and then maybe just a little bit of a primer. I mean, we're, we're still a couple weeks away uh, from uh, minor leaguers reporting out to Jupiter, but maybe just a little bit of a primer today on uh, on what we're looking forward towards, uh, what we're looking towards um in 2024 for, for a Marlin system that is, uh, you know, uh, still, still on the upswing, uh, but you can see with recent moves made and with this new influx of talent that's coming and these higher priced international free agents, uh, starting there is a good place to start when you're talking about rebuilding a system. So, uh, I'm excited for today's show, man. It's good to be with you as always. Yep. So as always like, and subscribe, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to give us a five-star review. If you're listening to on any platform, uh, audio platform and, I may as well shout it out here because may as well, but fish on first new little rebrand, as you could see, well, not little huge rebrand, completely different site. The minor league coverage that we're going to have on here is really going to be some of the best we will ever have. Um, If you kind of go off of what you see on sites like twins daily, that's kind of what we'll be doing over there. We we partnered with the same uh, people that made twins daily. So we're extremely, extremely excited to, to, you know, to get into this new journey with this new site. So Aside from that, I think let's get going, Alex. So let's go with the big news. Andrew Salas, brother of Jose Salas and Ethan Salas, signs is expected to sign for a bonus of up to almost four million. We're thinking between what kind of you know Yidi got around that area, maybe a little more than what um Jose Salas got. But if you guys remember, Miami did sign Jose Salas, the first of the three brothers. Ethan Salas went over to the San Diego Padres for about five million dollars. And now uh Andrew Salas, which Many say this could be the best out of the three is coming over to Miami possibly next year for about $4 million. Alex, this is a guy we're very high on. And you look at the system right now, this may be the Marlins top prospect come 2025. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been talking to uh, to those connected to the Salas since uh, since Jose was here. Of course, he left in the, the Arias trade. Um, so, man, uh, just, just looking at what this kid is already doing at 15 years old and how polished that he already is. Uh, you can see the videos you posted in your article. I posted some on Twitter today. Um, man, this kid look, just looks so polished at such a young age. Another switch hitter like Jose, also a switch hitter. Obviously, he's going to get less than Ethan because of positional flexibility. Obviously, Ethan plays 
a very, very premium position at catcher. Uh, so he's obviously going to go for a bit more money, but man, $4 million is what's being reported around, around $4 million. I think is what the report was, man, that's, that's, that's big money. Um, and will, he will be the highest priced, uh, international free agent that the Marlins will have signed if he does go for that much money, as the report says, since Victor, Victor Mesa. So this is really, really big money. Um, and I think this kid deserves it. Um, Really, really high on the tools, man. Um, it's a quiet approach. It's a quiet swing. He's got really, really good levers in the field. I was slightly surprised to hear that they already did move him off of shortstop and he's now playing third base. But I also kind of thought that about Jose, that Jose isn't really a shortstop either or isn't a long-term shortstop either and probably is more of a fit for third base. So it's kind of probably in the pipeline that they're more built for third base, which is fine. Um, you could still get a very, very high-quality bat with good, really good skills in the field, I think, at third base. Um, his arm, arm, arm velocities are, are very, very good. Um, he could throw all the way across the diamond. He's shown it before. Uh, we posted this video today, just him like flicking the glove around and stuff. It's, it's, this looks really, really cool, man. Um, this guy, I, I am very, very high on his family is very high on him as well. Um, international scouts are very high on this kid. Um, and this, this guy's going to be, uh, I think a very, very, very good prospect. And like you said, very much, uh, a fit for, um, the potential top spot in the Marlins system when he is signed next year. Um, obviously that comes with the fact that we may not see him for a while, maybe until 2028, 2029. But man, when you're talking about building for the long-term future, this is a piece that you really want. And I think the Marlins are going to be happy with this one when they get him. Um, obviously still some room to grow into the frame, but I still, I think his frame is already pretty good at age 15. Um, this guy is going to be, I think a very, very star studded prospect for the Marlins. Um, if, and when they do sign him as the report that we read today, is is leaning towards and we saw him last year even wearing a marlin shirt uh last year in those pic pictures that you posted in your article so it just speaks to the fact that man this is how early these guys commit to a team uh and it seems like andrew is committed to miami which is very good news today um i don't think this is getting the attention that it should i think this should be higher heralded news than it is because this is a very very big uh get for the marlins if and when they do sign him I feel like it'll be bigger news, especially once we see, because everyone looks at that for the most part. That's, you know, the biggest list that everyone looks at. It's going to be the MLB pipeline list. And you see Andrew Salas very, very close to the top. This will be probably the highest ranked prospect the Marlins will have in terms of that specific list. I mean, to be fair, that's the one I look at. And as much as we don't agree usually with some of the top prospects lists that they make, their international one usually is pretty, it's pretty good. So yeah, and the one thing that does stand out, you know, and I was looking, I think it was that perfect game because they had a, a profile for him. It said 6'1". He does not look 6'1". He looks at least a little bit more than that, maybe 6'2", I want to say. Maybe, maybe 6'3", but it's a quick swing, quick move. He has a good arm. I mean, this, and as much as we want to keep Noble Meyer at the number one spot, and that's something we're going to have to go through, maybe not this year, but next year, because, you know, specifically now with the arrival of Kova, which we'll get into in a bit, that's definitely going to be one of the biggest things we're going to be talking about when we have to make that that new that new uh, top thirty list. But Alex, you know, Adrian Lorenzo is gone. He's a great friend of the show, great friend of ours. Um, he always supported what you do. But I mean, let's let's call it. Let's let's we have to be clear about it. I mean, they went after quantity over quality, and we'll get into the class in a bit. But the signing of Kova and now the signing of someone like Andrew Salas, who may as well be the number one international prospect come twenty twenty five. I mean, you got to look at it how it is. They're going for quality. And that's one of the things that Peter Bendix mentioned in many, many pressers, many scrums during winter meetings, in his initial opening statements that 
the one thing he is going to prioritize is the international market and ensure that he will hit on big prospects and that they won't miss. Now, now you know, to, to Lorenzo's credit, he did get a, some pretty good prospects for the most part. Jane Cordella Cruz is off to a pretty good start. You also have um, Marco Vargas, who at the end of the day was used in a trade to get a big leaguer. You know, despite how it turned out, he was used in a trade to get it. And that's been the case for, for someone like Lorenzo's classes. And, you know, on top of that, he has to fill out two DSL teams. So that's the other thing, too. But, um, man, what does it say now about this new front office? Because right at the moment, it's Azo Campo who's running this. He is, I guess you could say, the interim. Uh, in, he, he, he took over for Lorenzo at the moment. And from what we know, they're not going to be doing any sort of interviews for any uh for that position to replace lorenzo so what do you take away from this new regime that's kind of entering for miami yeah well first of all i mean just just based off of what we just talked about on, on how how early on these deals get done usually like sometimes years in advance like we're talking about 2025 right now and it's january of 2024 uh so very likely that that lorenzo still had some fingerprints on 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 deals that that got done but like you were saying um, I think you see the switch in mindset from what Lorenzo did a few years ago where he drafted like over 60 guys, right? Or not drafted, selected. It's not a draft. It's a selection process. You select and sign over 60 guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And his explanation then was like, we're just, we're just going after guys and seeing which ones we hit on, right? Which is not a bad strategy to have, especially when you're opening up a new, opening up a new academy. You have room for two teams now. Uh, you can field more guys. You can get better looks at more guys with the new resources that you have. So it definitely wasn't a bad strategy um at all but what you're seeing here is just the importance that they're placing on getting talent as early as possible right um whether that's through the draft or through the international signing process that's the earliest you can get talent because these guys sign at 16 right so yeah. um i really think you're, you're seeing a a huge emphasis placed on the marlins coming by developed talent as much as it can be developed at that early of an age as quickly as possible and getting these guys that are a little bit more polished, a little bit more expensive, but also a lot more polished um, than, you know, guys like Yafri Solano, no knock on Yafri Solano, but that was their, their top signing. And it was not really a very lucrative deal. And that was their highest price guy a few years ago. So what you're seeing is they're spending a little bit more money to save more money later on what they hope will be very established talent, which is definitely a really good strategy for a team like the Marlins to present. So I like this new, this, this, slight shift in approach to international signing periods. Um, we saw it with Kova. We're going to see it even more apparently with, with Andrew Salas. And I think it's a great direction for the Marlins to go when it comes to getting talent as early as possible. Yeah. And I mean, you're and this is, you know, obviously it's still too early to tell, but not just moving away a little bit from the international side of things, you brought in a new draft, uh, a new director of, of, of amateur scouting. So that's the, let's see how that goes. I mean, you look at Seattle the past couple of years, they've hit on most of their picks and, you know, George Kirby was one of them. Emerson Hancock. I mean, man, Bryce Miller. I, you, you, they've hit. So th that's one thing to say. And obviously, I just mentioned all pitchers, but position player wise as well, they're getting their Kyle Lewis. I know was you know kind of a, a weird situation there. He won Rookie of the Year in that 2020 shortened year, but you know we don't have to talk about Frankie Pillier. You could just go on the official show and check out everything our good friend Eli Sussman said about him. But anyways, let's start talking about this this class. Um, Certainly a smaller one. Only 21 guys, I believe, is the exact number. It's highlighted by Luis Cova. I have the full list over here if I find it. Here we go. Highlighted by uh, Luis Cova. And then you have Jose Castro, who's another name that we've heard very good things on. Alex, talk to us about Luis Cova. 
Yeah, so this guy looks really polished as well at a very young age. Um, it's another guy that we talk about that is just showing so much at such a young age. Um, looks like he can play all three outfield spots. It's pretty damn good speed. Uh, and the swing is quiet, and it's built for what I think will be future power for this kid. Um, really like it, man. I really think this guy's going to be pretty good pretty quickly just based off of how advanced he is at uh, not even age 17 yet. So this guy has earned the money, I think, that he that he got. Um, I like the build too. I think he's pretty, pretty sizable for an age 17 kid with still room to grow. Uh, you see a little bit of bulk in the upper half. So I definitely think it's a swing and a personality profile and a skill set that is built for all three outfield positions, hopefully sticking in center field. Um, definitely think he can do it. And then this swing man is, I think is built for some big things in the, in the, in the terms of power, um, concerns for this, for this young man, um, because I think it's a power first profile, um, just limiting swing and miss is kind of what you want to see from from early on. Um, I really do think that that huge uppercut swing that he has is built for a lot of power. So I'm going to be looking at how he, um, you know, implements a little bit more bat speed um, and kind of limits the times where he chases outside of the zone. Uh, I really do think it's a power first approach. It's a power first looking approach from what everything that we can see. A um, little bit of a little bit of a of a shorter stride through the zone though, from what you're seeing at these full speed pitches. Doesn't really have like the huge high leg kick or anything. So timing wise, it looks pretty good. Um, I'm just hoping to see that he can stay patient at the plate um, and continue to hit to all fields and not just go pull because it does seem like there's a little bit of pull as well. So the only concerns I have, and of course, these can of course be developed out of a 17 year old kid hitting to all fields, limiting swing and miss and letting the power come to you is kind of the things that I think he needs to learn. But I think this is a pretty exciting prospect for the Marlins to have in their system. We'll see what he does this year. Uh, likely starting in the DSL. Um, We'll see probably coming stateside next year, I would guess. I don't have that officially or anything. Um, just guessing that, you know, they'll take it easy with a 17-year-old kid, start him out back home, and then uh, and then bring him over. Or not back home, but start him out in the DR, uh, and then bring him over. He's from Venezuela, right? And then bring him back um, bring him back over here, or bring him over here uh, stateside probably in, in 2025. Um, those are kind of what the things I'm looking at are for, uh, for Mr. Kova, but I really do like the uh, personality profile and the player profile that this guy has. Um, I think it's money well spent here, and I think that the Marlins are going to be happy with this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the profile, especially, I mean, you look at him, it's like such a long type of guy, but, I mean, you look, he has power, and, and maybe a little bit more of a laid-back approach, as you mentioned, he doesn't do too much with the swing, but it gets power, and, and yeah, maybe a little pull, but, you know, that's something they could develop in this organization as a whole, has tried to really implement more of a, you know, opposite field hitting. We see it at the Major League level with um, Sanchez and DLC, and, you know, I'll go, I'll even say Nassim had a, and he's no longer with the organization, but he was a guy who saw a lot of success with opposite field hits. So certainly something there to keep an eye out on, but let's talk about just the list as a whole. Um, real quick, we look at, you know, something that Lorenzo really touched on Alex was really let's dive into different markets. And that's not something we're seeing here. You see a lot of Dominican Republic, you see some Venezuela and only one uh, one spot from Mexico. He wanted to dive into markets like Curacao, Cuba, Colombia, the Bahamas. Usually, one that they dive into pretty decent, you know, pretty well. They didn't do it this year, so you know, do you, how what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, because it and you know, we look at Twitter and I follow Cuban baseball decently well, and that's one thing that many are saying. Why didn't Miami dive into more Cuban prospects when it felt like? this was a year where that was a market to really try to hit on. But again, these are deals that are done very long time ago. Cove, I believe was done since about, 
I want to say late 2021, middle 2022. So it's definitely been a while since COVID was signed. So Miami has had time to kind of dive in deeper into other markets. Yeah, I think surprising. Um, well, surprising in the fact that, um, you know, not that anybody wasn't signed, but just surprising in the fact that they did want to make that a point of emphasis, according to Adrian. Um, he wanted to go to places like uh, Curacao, Honduras, more out of Cuba, stuff like that. Um, and you see most of, if not all of the Marlin signings, um, with the exception of the uh, the ones that they made from Mexico, um, are from those big three countries, right? So, um I mean, obviously, a lot of talent hails out of those countries. They're, they're baseball factories. Like, that's, that's where a lot of talent hails from nowadays in baseball. So it's understandable in a smaller class. Um, but I was a little bit surprised. I mean, they've drafted Bahamian prospects. I keep saying drafted. They've selected Bahamian prospects uh, most years uh, that, that Lorenzo was here, um, or even before Lorenzo when Saguignal was here. Um, they've, they've, they've derived talent from places like Bahamas. They've gone into Honduras and gotten players from there as well a little bit. They started to do it. And then this year they kind of didn't do it at all. So it was a little bit surprising to see that none of the pool was spent there on those guys. Um, I do know that they still have a little bit of pool left. I'm pretty sure um, yeah. through the rest of the signing oh, period. Um, about a million-ish left. Yeah, they still have a little bit left to, to maybe get some smaller deals done and maybe go into those markets. Um, but I was a little bit surprised to see that um, that, that wasn't really done here uh, as of yet. Um, this was just a lot out of those, uh, those higher, those, uh, more well-known baseball countries, which is fine. Like I said, um, but when they said they wanted to make that a point, we were kind of looking for it and we didn't really see it here. So I was a little surprised, but like I said, in a smaller class, maybe it's to be expected a little bit. And I do think the talent that they got is good. Uh, not only Kobo, but we could talk about other guys as well. I like Robleto, um, Gutierrez, like a couple of the other guys that they got, uh, as well. I think that I think are showing pretty well, uh, or have shown well so far in their reports. Uh, and the videos that we've seen and stuff like that. So um, I think that there's definitely talent here, obviously Kova, but then after Kova, we'll, we can get into that a little bit and maybe some other guys that have, yeah, you know, we've liked what we've seen on the initial stuff that we've seen from them. Obviously we don't know everything. We're just going based off of reports and videos. Um, but um, I do think that there is some, some good baseline talent here outside of Kova as well. Um, they didn't go into the smaller markets, but that's okay. Um, I definitely think it, it should be something that they should definitely consider in future years though, for sure. Yeah, and I think it comes down to just time. You know, something we'll have to definitely keep an eye on is that 2025 class because usually the Marlins have, you know, a decent amount of money to spend on these prospects. And now you're going to get about almost $4 million wiped away with Salas. You really got to think about what markets you want to dive in. It seems like the DR is, is the, the one that they're really hitting on with a little bit of Mexico, which I don't think they've signed a Mexican prospect in a pretty long time, I want to say. So nice to see them dive into that market. But I know Lorenzo had mentioned Curacao once. He mentioned Cuba, Colombia. Those are spots they just didn't go after. And you look at other team signing classes, and there's some pretty good players that have signed out of there and actually for you know a decent chunk of money. So it shows that not, they're not the only teams, organizations going after these players. There's definitely more. But let's talk about one of the other players that signed for the second most amount of money, and that is uh, Jose Castro. He, he is the only other player, from what I'm told, that could possibly stick at center. So... And one of the things that really does stand out about Castro is just kind of how much change or movement he's made in his swing. He started with his his front leg a little bit inside, and I'll probably have to find video about uh, pictures about this because I, I know I had them, but with the with sight change and all, I think I may have gotten rid of it. But uh, and then you look at the video, and you know you go a little deeper into it, and I'll find the video when you're talking here. But he he makes the adjustment where he sticks that front leg out a little more, so he has less movement in the swing. Uh, he seems like more of a power guy as well, kind of like Kova. So pretty similar builds there, but certainly a guy who we should keep an eye out on. What are your thoughts a little bit uh, on Castro here? 
Yeah, 6'3", 180 uh, already. So huge power guy. Um, I think this is definitely going to be a power first guy. Uh, I do like the uh, points that you made about him quieting down his swing. What I would say overall is that he's a little bit higher with the elbows up in the air a little bit, with the back kind of out in front a little bit more than he used to be. And then obviously a wider stance to kind of quiet down what he's doing with the lower half, right? So already making some adjustments that can maybe lead to what you would hope would be for any power guy, you always worry about uh, you always worry about strikeouts, right? Uh, you always worry about chase. Uh, so with him already quieting down the levers uh, from where he was previously in his very, very young baseball career, um, I think that is that is very, very encouraging for a guy like this. So huge lower half. You can see it here. He's like definitely a lot of legs, right? Uh, so uh, probably definitely derives power from that that big lower half. Um, and in quieting down the swing, I think that that's going to do him very, very well. Again here, same with Kovitz. I think it's a lot of pull. Um, but uh, you know, that could be coached too. Uh, this guy's 17 years old. You want to see him to go to more fields, uh, get a little bit more out over the plate with the bat, uh, and not just target pitches on the inside, try to get those pitches on the outside as well, because pitchers will exploit that at the next level. So again, quieter, um, kind of like you see here, kind of elbows down, but then more up as the ball is approaching. Um, so obviously trying to get into both that lower half and upper half with the levers. So it looks good, man. Um, I liked the adjustments that you pointed out, including these right here. With the with that's the, the one out. Yeah, that's the picture I got there. Yep. Yeah, the front leg out a little bit more. Um, timing trigger a lot smaller than it was in older videos of this guy. Um, I just think there there needs to be a little bit more consistency here too, because what you can see in some of these videos is that he's setting up a little bit differently from time to time. Sometimes the front legs out in front. Sometimes it's more, more it's a little bit more back. So it's just going to be about finding what works for this guy consistently. And of course, that's going to take time. But again, this guy's got all the time in the world. So really just consistency, quieting down the swing, going to more fields. And we'll see what this guy can do in sticking, uh, you know, probably I think would say I would say be a corner guy uh, long term. Uh, I know right now they're, they're trying him out at all three spots. But I would, I, would, I would think from the personality profile and player profile that he has, um, and the more body that he's going to, going to grow into as an already pretty damn big kid, I would say this guy's probably better fit for a corner, but we'll see what he can do. Uh, highly athletic guy, huge, huge build already. Um, so really impressed with the physical nature of this guy already. Um, and then man, that really, really physical violent swing is, is, is can be beautiful, but you worry about the case, right? So, uh, just got to try to quiet it down as much as possible, uh, get consistent with the approach and we'll see what he can do, but it looks good, man. Yeah, I mean, and and just for reference, he he signed for the second most amount at 450k. So certainly Miami was high on this type of a prospect. Let's keep going real quick. Last position player we'll really touch on here is Gregory Arias, who was I think only one of two players listed at shortstop. Nope, he's the only player listed at shortstop. And what we have understood is that this guy is going to get every possible shot to play shortstop and stick there. So. I will look for his video while you talk here, but certainly, you know, he's not, a, he, I think he's just six feet tall. He's on the smaller side of things and, you know, I may as well just pull it up here. And he's also from the Dominican Republic. So what else stands about uh, Arias and, and the fact that he's the only player that is also listed, only player listed as a shortstop, which I know last season, I mean, last year, last signing period, we looked at it and there were a lot of players listed at shortstop and, you know, that's usually bound to happen. Most of these guys start there and then as they go and, and yeah. you know, develop, they change, and this may be the case with Arias, as it could be with any of these guys. But it seems like if they're listing him, that they definitely feel a little more confident. He's going to get every chance, from what we have been told. Yeah, uh, switch hitter as well, right? So you like that, um, but more of like that quick, quick twitch kind of player, right? Um, so kind of related to like a guy like maybe Jazz or something like that. You know what I mean? Before the power came for Jazz, 
Um, you know, this guy as well, I, I think is, is kind of kind of fits into that same mold of a guy that they think could be that quick twitch, like four out of five tool guy with decent speed. Likely they would like for him to stick at shortstop. They said they're going to give him every opportunity. I would expect him to be there for one of the two DSL teams this coming year on a daily basis. Um, so definitely like to hear that they think he can stick at shortstop because like you said, a lot of players that come out as this young of an age, they either start at shortstop or center field. It's kind of like the main two places that they start if they're a position player and then they move around. You saw it with um, Andrew Salas. They already moved him off of shortstop and to third base before 2025 when he's expected to be signed. Um, you know, we've talked about that also with Giddy Capay. Is he going to stick at shortstop? Or are they going to move him to a spot like third base? A lot of these guys most of the time move around, but to hear what you heard that they really think that this guy could stick at shortstop, that is definitely a really, really good sign. And they're going to give him every opportunity to do so. So kind of like that quick twitch guy, more of a line drive swing than anything from what I've seen. Um you know, if he can come by more power, great. It's got all the time in the world to do it. Um, six foot 160, so already has a little bit of bulk to him as well. So it's not like he's this tiny little skinny guy. Um, he's got some bulk to him there as well. So definitely more to grow into as well as he goes. Maybe the power can come with that. Um, but I like what I hear so far. Um, the switch hit ability, uh, the quick twitch nature, the ability to stick at shortstop. This is exciting. And I think the Marlins got a really good deal on this guy. I like this player. All right, so let's get into the pitching side of things here, Alex. We'll talk quickly about Jose Paulino, who seems to be the top pitcher signed, but we'll get into other names as we go. But what are your thoughts on him? Seems like I think he got the most amount by pitcher for a pitcher. And right there, you know, thankfully, we thanks to Craig Mish, we could see up there at the top the velocities. He's hitting 93, 94 on the fastball, uh, around 80, I think mid-80s on the changeup, and then around high 70s on the curveball and i think the slider 73 78 so just your quick thoughts i mean this apparently this is a guy who was supposed to go out you know was supposed to get a lot more but with how quickly miami was able to get him they were able to to get him for what seems to be a steal yeah for sure uh you really really like what you see in the velos already right and then the velo mix you know what i mean with that really high arcing 12 6 on that curveball with those really good spin rates as you can see here at the top of the screen um, you know, even at, you know, not even age 16 yet, he was already up to like 87, 88, which is pretty good. And now he's all the way up to 94. So I think this guy's come a long way in just under a year from going from 88, which is pretty damn good for not even 16 year old to now 93, 94 as a 17 year old. So you can kind of see what he's doing here to build up the velo, to build up the stamina a little bit. And then he has that really good curveball. I, re I really do like that pitch. Um, and already with the beginnings of an 86 to 87 mile an hour changeup usually the last pitch that a player develops. So to see him already have what looks to be the makings of a pretty good changeup already, uh, man, you really like the three-pitch mix already of this kid. Man, that curveball, ooh, keep seeing it. You throw it to both sides of the plate. That looks really good. I like that curveball. Ooh, that's nasty. I really, I really like that curveball. That's sick. Um, so, again, it doesn't seem like a lot of a lot of effort either. Um, he's kind of kind of kind of leaned back, kind of leans back into the into the delivery and then kind of explodes forward a little bit. Um, so a little bit of a change of pace in the speed of the delivery as well. It's kind of like that lean back and then he's bam and he's forward with the, with the ball, right? But still not that much effort to it. So I really do like this, the look of this pitcher uh, with a three pitch mix already, especially that curveball, and then up to 94 with the fastball. Um, this looks good, man. Uh, we're going to have to learn a little bit, little bit more about control and command. Uh, but these videos look, look pretty damn good. This guy can throw to both sides of the plate. Got a good three pitch mix. I think the Marlins like this one as well, and I like this kid too. I'm excited to see what this guy's going to do in the DSL this year for sure. And what I'm most excited about is just where do we rank these guys? Because it kind of feels like now we're we're getting to that point where, yeah, I, you know, it was hard to rank because the system wasn't very good. 
we could say that at least in the last rankings we both did. Now we're going to go into kind of a fresh new slate here with new guys, and it kind of feels like this system's kind of getting built up little by little. I mean, you already have Kova, Salas is coming in next year. You have Meyer, Thomas White. Now you have uh, Paulino, and we're going to talk about a couple other guys that, you know, thankfully we, we were able to get a little bit of insight on. And the next one we're going to talk about is Garrington Mendes, um, undersized, but freaky slot, you know, flexibility, mobility traits that, that are very strong. He has a plus fastball. He has the, the, the breaking balls are pretty good. Gets a lot of swing and miss. The changeup is really what gets it going. So, and he's hitting right now 89. So this is one of the players that we were told we need to keep an eye out on as well as Eric Gutierrez, who, who, who we hear is one of the, you know, one of the dark horses is what we'll say, you know, good. good. He's a left-handed pitcher with elite size is, is what we know. And Miami loves size and, He's, he's already up to 94 on the fastball. So a lot to take away there just from those two guys. It kind of feels like Miami really said, let's go. Off, and that goes back to what we said at the start of the show, Alex, where they're going after a lot of quality instead of quantity. And that's a good way to build a system, especially how it was just, I mean, you look, you, we would have to look a couple months ago. I mean, and no knock on Troy Johnson. He's a great player, but he may have been one of the top players in this, in the system. And he's almost 27. Yeah, for sure. So you got to get younger, right? And this is a great way to do it through the national signing period and um, to do it in a way that, you know, you only bring in 21 players versus, you know, three times that a couple years ago, like we were talking about, but you get what looks to be pretty high quality stuff, you know, and again, it's very early. So maybe not every one of these players that we're talking about today is going to work out the way that we want. But from what we're seeing just in the initial looks and initial reports, we like what we see, um, you know, and, 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 you know, when the Marlins got those 60 players that they got a couple years ago, there were a couple guys that kind of stood out, but it wasn't like it was, wow, we can point to, you know, 12 or 15 out of the 20, 20, 15 of 20 of them and point to something that is like a standout tool already. You can already see these standout tools coming with most of these 21 players that they signed um, in this period. So again, like you said, it's the the quality over quantity, but I think the Marlins are going to be pretty happy because I, I really do like what we see from a lot of these guys uh, already uh, at, at such young ages. So I think that's kind of the switch in mindset for the Marlins here. And like you said, uh, Jarrington Mendez, uh, again, um, this guy's a little bit different uh, than uh, than uh, than Arias. Uh, I think that's Arias. Uh, uh, no, not Arias. Sorry, Castro. A little bit different than Castro in the fact that a lot lower arm slot from what we're seeing and hearing. Um, I don't think he has quite the velocity that, that, um, that Castro has already, yeah. uh, averaging about 89. But again, long ways to go. He could build it up. But what you do like about this guy is – um spin rates uh this guy's got really damn good spin rates on his secondary pitches um and then he has that change up too that flattens out that looks really good as well so yeah this guy could be good i think he needs to come by a little bit more velocity that would be great to see but as of right now what you're hearing about him is uh that you told me is great flexibility lower arm slot averaging 89 maybe a little ways to go to pump it up a little bit but again he's 17 years old uh, and then really good spin rates as well on on secondary stuff. So you like it. This is like a three to possibly four pitch mix from what we've seen in videos. Um, so we like this guy too. Um, I think a little bit of a further ways to go than a guy like Castro, who I think is a little bit more advanced, but definitely has the potential to uh, to become a rotational starter, maybe uh, maybe mid to back end rotational starter at the very least, definitely relief stuff. So um, you like it and you like the um, – the baseline profile that you see from a guy like that as well, um, even though he wasn't that high money guy. Yeah. All right. Last two guys I do want to touch on are the catchers that they signed because some one thing we had heard right before you know before the the we got full names was they're gonna focus on catching and obviously this was when Lorenzo was still here but 
they, they when you look back at this list, a lot of this was Adrian Lorenzo because he was there, and a lot of usually. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna try to hammer this point. A lot of these guys sign way not signed, but they agree to these deals way before their their year comes along. And for example, Jose, I mean Andrew Salas. So let's search on the catchers real quick. They are uh, Elemental Lentino, who we're pretty high on as well, and the Mexican kid Kevin Robeldo. So. Very two good two good catchers. I mean, Robelda's medium frame, athletic, loose type athlete. Uh, he is actually funny enough, and you know, we don't we don't like to make comparisons when they're 16, 17 years old, but we're hearing Javi Baez comparisons already. And you know, I know right right now Javi Baez is not the greatest baseball player, but you look at what he did with the Cubs, he was pretty damn good. And then with Dolentino, uh, medium again, medium frame, he both two very good arms defensively. He has to get some work in, but you know we'll see if he sticks that catcher. But right now, it kind of seems like Kevin Rebeld is a big name to look at. But Tolentino, strong guy, good arm, both of them. Uh, Alex, what do you take away from the catching, which they desperately need in this organization? Yeah, for sure, definitely they do, especially after uh, getting rid of Ronald and you know all those other things that we've already talked about uh, multiple multiple times. Um, I think where you're seeing the the comparison between these two kids is that uh, Robledo is a little bit um, a little bit more advanced behind the plate. Um, and that, uh, Tolentino needs a little bit of work behind the plate, but you do like that Tolentino is a lefty as well. So, um, yeah, a left-handed hitting catcher. That's a great, great asset to have for any organization, especially a young kid. I think the defense could be developed for him. They, they like the arm strength, but I think he needs a little bit of work in other areas of the catching game, um, such as blocking, framing, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, no, um, Work in progress behind the plate, but you like a left-handed hitting catcher and you take that all day, uh, especially at such a young age and already showing that he has pretty damn good athleticism. Uh, Robledo, um, this guy as well, um, they like the hands and levers that he exhibits on both sides of the ball, soft soft hands on both sides of the ball. Seems like he stays back pretty well. Um, you know, when it comes to the Marlins and catchers, what you really think about is, and yes, I know traditional baseball, especially Major League Baseball, this isn't really a thing today anymore to have a uh, a highly prized offensive catcher, but that's what you're hoping can be developed here. Um, so if um, either one of these guys can develop and, and stick behind the plate, I think Robledo has a little bit of a better chance. That's what you're kind of looking at, but you do like the left-handed hitting ability of Tolentino. I would probably be slightly higher on Robledo overall, just from what we know so far, but man, you got a lefty, you got a righty, see which one works out. Um, I think they're on different ends of where they need to go with their development. Um, I think that Robledo needs to develop a little bit more offensively. Tolentino maybe needs a little bit more work defensively. Um, so, yeah, it's going to just take time to see which one works out. All righty. So that'll do it for the international side of things. We'll quickly just touch on some final hits that we that we think are, are worth noting. Um, so the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, double affiliate of the Marlins, had their fish fest on Thursday. They had it. We spoke to Jordan McCann's who is going to probably start at low A, but he is from Pensacola, so cool to see him out there for this type of event. Ike Buxton, who's expected to start at double A, and Jacob Berry, who's also expected to start at double A. So all three phenomenal guys. We spoke to them. Great, great answers. Um, Alex, you wrote the article in McCants. I wrote the one on Buxton. Just talk to us a little bit about Jordan McCants. This is a guy who when we get into make or break years, I feel like he's in one of those. And I know it's still early with him, but – Man, you're repeating the level now, and, and you really got to get it going. Uh, if he goes up to single advanced, he won't repeat the level, which I think he will. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. I think he needs to show, like I wrote in the article, he needs to show a little bit more with bat speed and contact overall. What I did like about Jordan is how level-headed this player is. Um, you know, just 
mentioning to us, and which is kind of what what prompted me to write the article, just all of these lessons that he learned and all of these takeaways that he has from 2023. And then, of course, his personality profile of not forgetting where he comes from, right? Uh, going back into the community, going back to Pensacola every year, even though he's not on that team, right? Uh, to do Fish Fest all three years, right, with them. So this guy definitely has really strong mental fortuity. Uh, I think he learned it even more this past year going through what he did, um, you know, with the Hammerheads not having a stadium. And then, you know, they're 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 playing in two different places. And some, some ways they didn't even have a real locker room and they didn't even have resources that they needed at Palm Beaches because they're just not there, right? Um, so I think that definitely hindered him, but did also teach him that kind of mental side of baseball of like, hey, you're going to fail and you need to know how to get over it, right? Which is kind of what he said exactly himself. So I really like the strong mindset that Jordan McCants really, really does exhibit. Yes, he needs to do work. Yes, he needs to get a little bit better with some of his tools, including bat speed. I think that's his main one. It's definitely not going to be a guy who hits a ton of home runs or anything like that, but it is a guy who needs to be able to just put the bat on the ball and let his speed go to work for him. He stole 36 bases last year, even though he had you know, a pretty middling on base percentage. So, I mean, still this guy gets on base, he's going to be dangerous. So all he needs to focus on is fully knowing his tools, developing the bat speed, definitely a little bit more selectiveness at the plate a little bit more, but again, he's still just 21 years old. I still think there's time. I don't necessarily think that 2024 is a make or break season for him, maybe 2025 because he's still 21 years old. So um, again, I, I, I really, really hope that he can develop the bat speed overall develop his selectiveness a little bit better. It's going to probably come as he takes a step up to single A advanced. I do project him to start at single A advanced. Um, so yeah, it's going to come as he faces, it's going to have to come as he faces off against more developed and more higher advanced uh, pitching and competition. But I definitely think with the mindset that this guy has, the work ethic that he has, that it's definitely possible for him to, to turn it around from what we saw over the course of the full year last year. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, just knowing the tools and, and developing the, in those certain areas that we need to see to, to fully get him to what his potential could possibly be in the near future. So that's what I would say for McCants. I, I really like that kid, uh, says all the right things and the mental side of baseball, he gets it. So um, you like to see that from a player. Uh, does he have to get over some some struggles last year? Absolutely, you're right. Um, but I think that he can do it. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in terms of, you know, where he was this past year on the course of the full season in terms of where, and then in terms of where he's going to come in and be this year in 2024, I think you could see a much different player, honestly. Yeah. And one thing he did note it note that it was, he, he did have a pretty good spring training. We were there. We saw, we'll watch it again. And he noted it too. I mean, I, he said, I felt like I had a pretty good spring training, but I kind of went away from that approach during the year. And he said in baseball, it's hard to get things back. And he certainly couldn't get the approach back. Uh, one thing he's definitely struggled with is pretty high strikeout percentages this season, specifically in 2023 highest in his career i mean he, he hovered around 25 percent in 21 22 but he went up to 27 percent in 2023 really just and he didn't put the ball in play a decent amount but just didn't walk a lot not you know it's certainly tough for someone like him and one thing you did note and actually i'm glad you did because i actually was not totally aware but he's playing a lot of third base he played almost the entire season there uh, certainly helps him a lot with defensive versatility. I know he's we've seen him at short second. Now we get to see him at third. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe he does end up at high A. I I, I just I find it hard that they'll promote someone because we kind of look at what happened with Yidi. He struggled at the at the low A level towards the very end of the season. Goes up to Beloit, which was a pretty aggressive push, but a good one that we both agreed with. And he struggled, but you know he gets another shot at it. He's I don't think he's make or break either, but. You know, you kind of look at it, it's like, man, maybe McCants, you know, you 
give them a, some, a couple weeks at least until it's not very cold in Beloit anymore. Because, you know, that's the one thing, too. When you go up to Beloit, it's it's a struggle at the start of the season. We saw it with Victor Mesa Jr. He struggled there. It, it was extremely cold up there. And maybe those are some conditions you'd want him to put him there. But we'll see. He has time. He, he'll he have now full spring training again to go through. So uh, I'm pretty high on someone like McCann's. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely think, like you said, um, there were just so many variables in place for everybody, all of the younger guys on Jupiter, um, with the, the things that they went through this year, and then still were able to get a title out of it, which was impressive. Um, you know, these those are hard to hit in climates already, and then you go to a new park without the resources that you're used to at the park that you already have. That's difficult, right? And that goes into it. I'm not making excuses, but that goes into it. And then, like you said, he was kind of learning a new position. He didn't play third base at all in his pro career until this year, and then you're playing 55 games there, right? So um, he dealt with it. Um, he said it was a little bit of a, a stark learning curve at first, but um, that he was able to, to kind of do it um, and at least be um, be pretty pretty solid over there. I don't think he was bad over there. I think he was pretty solid over there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, um, I just think that uh, there was a lot of pressure on him this past year. Um, I think there was a lot of variables in place that led to the struggles that he did have. Yes, there's some gaps that he needs to fix for, but I think with more consistency and with just a more consistent environment, um, you know, yeah, he was with Jupiter all year last year, but look at how many other variables were in place, even though he was with the same team, there's a lot to deal with. So I think it was a high stress year for Jordan. Um, and I think that if he can kind of get back to where he was, uh, not putting too much pressure on himself, if the Marlins don't put as much pressure on him either, I think there was a lot of, definitely a lot of pressure that he dealt with. So over the course of a, uh, his second full season, uh, more comfortability, um, and just with the mindset that he that he exhibits, I think that this is a true bounce back candidate. I really do think that you could see a different player in McCants this year, judging off of all of the things that we just talked about. So I really like McCants. I'm still I'm still fairly high on him. Um, and I'm 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 confident that he'll be able to turn it around. That makes two of us, man. I mean, I, I am also pretty high on McCants. He was a third round pick just in 2021, so he still has time. He's only 21, as you mentioned. I, I don't know if he'll be 22 when the season begins. No, he will not. So he still has a lot of time to go. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Ike Buxton. Uh, this is a guy who really stood out this season for, for us. He went across three levels, started at low A. He really made a good impression there. That's where he got most of his success. Goes to, to high A. He's pitches well. Then he only has one start at double A Pensacola, but that was a very good start for Ike Buxton. He goes to the AFL. He struggles a little bit. It's about, I think it was a six point uh, six eleven ERA, but still you get the experience. You get to face different types of talents and different levels for him. A lot of triple A talent for the most part. So he is someone who definitely stood out. He spoke to us. Very well-spoken guy. Uh, very excited to see what he comes up with in 2022, 2024. I'm sorry. Uh, he was a 2023 draft pick, didn't have a spring training. So now he has the opportunity to go in there, make something happen there. Um, pretty good fastball, a lot of good breaking ball stuff, uh, breaking pitches, secondary stuff, really good. You know, uh, gets a lot of swing and miss. Uh, Alex, I mean, what, what stands about Ike Buxton? What you take away from our media session with him and how excited are you? I mean, this is a guy who's probably going to be a, a pretty, not, I wouldn't say very high player on our list, but he'll probably be towards the middle for sure. Yeah, just kind of unheralded, right? Like you said, 2022 draft pick out of a very, very cold weather climate, right? Um, and as a pitcher, like as any baseball player, it's it's kind of hard to make it from those smaller markets um, to being drafted. I mean, at all, anywhere at all, let alone the 15th round. And yeah, that sounds like kind of a lower pick, but man, for a, for a guy from that kind of climate and those, those kind of areas to those kind of like lesser heralded baseball areas to kind of make it the way that he did, 
That is great. Um, so I really like this guy kind of as that underdog story. He won't blow you away with velocity. He probably sits like, you know, 89, probably maybe up to 92 at his, on his best day with velocity. But like you said, the breaking pitches are really good. Um, and then like we asked him in the, um, in the presser that you put in your article, um, just the way that they pushed him last year, knowing that this is an older guy, you know, you can't stay in Jupiter all year. You're going to have to get pushed, right? So pitching across three different levels and then also going up to, um, going up to, uh, what's it called, uh, to, uh, to, or going down to Arizona. Um, it's, it's really, really an interesting story of a very interesting kid. So I, I really do think that this guy could be pushed even harder this year, maybe up to even triple a, but those breaking pitches are damn good, man. And he had a really good 77 inning tenure. My looks, uh, or my, um, my things that I'm looking for out of him this coming year is just going to be how it happens at the upper levels of the minors. He did it with Jupiter. He did it with Beloit started to do it in Pensacola. Is that going to happen against these upper level, these upper level guys? Um, I think he can. Uh, I think he definitely can uh, maybe turn into that back end starter or um, multiple inning reliever for sure. Um, definitely has the background to do it. Wide arsenal of pitches, like four pitches at least. Um, so I, I, I do like Ike for sure. It's a fun story. It's a really fun background. If you just look into like his baseball reference page or history at college or whatever it may be, and, and look at where this guy has gone from, uh, being a position player to being a pitcher and then making it work as a pitcher fairly quickly. I think that shows a really strong mindset, really strong background. So I like Buxton and uh, it was cool to get to talk to him and you put out a great article on him, by the way, Kevin, it was awesome. So go check that out on fish on first. If you guys not have seen it yet, have not seen it yet, but um, man. Um, yeah. Again, I think this is a guy who could contribute to the Marlins as early as this year. If the Marlins continue to push him the way that they have. Yeah. Check out Alex's Alex's article too on Jordan McCants. I mean, we're, we're pumping out content on that end on the prospect side of things. Um, but anyways, we'll touch on the last player and I think we'll wrap up there. I know we were going to do make or break candidates, but we're going over the, we're about to hit the hour in just a bit. So Jake Barry, this is a guy who was certainly an interesting prospect to kind of talk about here because there was a lot, there was some good for sure. We, we can't say there wasn't. And then there was the bad. And I think we're going to touch on bad first. Obviously defense is the first thing. I mean, at this point, I, I really don't know what's holding the Marlins back from putting Barry at first base. We saw him do it with Pensacola. I don't know how much he did it with uh, Beloit, but uh, that's what kind of when we saw the first move. We saw like a shift in, in first basemans in the organization, kind of that middle of the year with Barry. Every guy moved up a level. We saw Torrin go from low A to high A. We saw Barry go from high A to double A. I think that's when... Well, I think Troy, yeah, Troy started at double A too this year, and he goes from double A to triple A. So uh, let's talk a little bit of there. Barry had a very up and down season, but really where he, he kind of stood out was with the Wahoos hitting 248, 301, 442, 743 with five home runs and 22 RBIs. He doesn't strike out too much, just covering that 21% rate, but he's not walking a lot and he's not putting the ball in play very much either. That's what stood out in terms of his double A experience. At Triple A, he certainly struggled a lot more, uh, even lower on base, lower WRC plus. Just uh, I and I start to think, Alex, how much do you think the third base is really affecting someone like this? Because in college, this guy was raking, and he was, and I don't know if he was a DH in college or how much he spent time at third base, but we knew from the get go this guy would not stick at third. He showed he's a pretty bulky guy for the most part. He's more of a power on the power side of things. So. What stands out to you about Jacob Barry? What did you take away from what he said? He kind of and he kind of told us he's not going to change. You know, he's not going to stick to one side of the plate. I, I kind of tried to ask him in a way. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, no, you weren't there, but I you, li you did listen to it though. I would assume so. I kind of tried to ask him like, you know, 
do you want to continue hitting on both sides of the plate? Because maybe sticking to one side helps someone like Barry, who who struggled offensively up to this point. But he'll most likely get the NRI. He'll get the non-roster invite to spring training. I would assume Buxton maybe as well. He has a good chance, but this would be his first full spring training. So I don't know how the team would feel about that. But Barry, for sure, he got it last season. What, where do you stand right now with Jacob Barry? He's definitely one of the top prospects in the organization. He was very good, actually, in the AFL. He was pretty good. He made a couple errors, though, at third. I don't think he played any first base. But still, a lot to take away from the Marlins 2023 first-round pick. Yeah, it's just a lot of bad swings, man. Um, honestly, it's a lot of getting – from what I saw of him last year, it's a lot of getting behind in the count very early, um, and then you're at the pitcher's mercy, right? So this guy needs to do a lot better early in counts. Um, that is what is hurting him the most, I think. Um you know, and then I think he struggles with bat speed. I, I really don't think he has good bat speed at all. Um, I think he's just kind of more of a run into it kind of guy right now with bat speed. Um, I think that that needs to be developed a lot better as well, if it can be. Um, if not, he just needs to turn into that base hit guy, which is okay, but um, it's not really in his profile. Like you said, he, he does at his best have decent power and you kind of want to make that permeate as well. But when you're coming by that, just based off of, you know, getting a good pitch and you can't get good pitches because you're falling behind in the count so early as early as you are, unless the pitcher makes a clear cut mistake, kind of hard to live off of running into things. And I think that's where kind of where Barry's projection is right now offensively is that he's having to run into things versus having an advantage and then being able to exploit the opposing pitcher. That is a true issue. Uh, so how that can be fixed is he needs to do a lot better early in counts, much better early in counts. If you look at the metrics early in counts, it'll back it up. He really struggled early in counts. Uh, both with Beloit and with Pensacola. So that's where he needs to really improve. Um, he was able to kind of, you know, limit the overall strikeout percentage. I mean, it's only what, 20, 21%. So it wasn't that bad but when you're only walking at a, what, 4% rate, um, you know, yeah. in, in single A advance, that's as old as you are. You got to You got to be better at working counts, especially early. But even as you get later into the count, you're older than your average competition. Uh, at single A advanced, you really do need to, that's, that's definitely the aspect of his game. He needs to work on is his discipline approach. And then, like I said, the bat speed. So um, I, I, I really hope he can turn it around. My confidence level in him turning it around is low. Honestly. Um, I think, like you said, though, the Marlins can take a lot of pressure off of Jacob Barry by putting him at first base. That's it. Just put and him at he first, would base. Very likely only be, first base. That's it. And he would very likely be the best first base when the best Power. They need help there anyway, right? Yeah, they like need, they need first right base. now. Why wouldn't they do right. it? It takes pressure off. You need help there. Put him at first base. It's it's not that hard. I don't understand. They started to do it, and yes, it would be a new position for him. He didn't play it in college, right? Um, so it would it was a new position. He started to learn it last year. We saw him walking around even in spring training with a first base club a little bit. So he was starting to learn on the backfield. They put him there with Beloit. So and I think with Pensacola too. But then you go to Arizona and he's only at third base. They have all 16 games at third base. So what what are why 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 are they clinging on to and this would be a really good question, by the way, uh for anybody with player dev, like why are you still clinging on to him at third base? Maybe they still think he can do it. That's fine. But you would take a lot of pressure off of the bat and let him try to focus on things that he's doing with the bat more consistently if you took that pressure off of also developing his throwing arm, which is not good whatsoever. So that, that throwing arm is going to take years to develop. I, I really don't, don't see it happening. Um, but you want to develop the offense. And he does have the ability and chance to develop offense. I think it's going to come at the cost of taking pressure off of the bat. But it's really not a cost because, like you just said, the Marlins need help with first base. He needs to be a first baseman. That's it. And it's, and it's a quicker and it's a quicker way for him to get up to the big leagues too, Alex, because think about it. I mean, 
we love Troy. We think Troy's great, but he's up there in age. And at the moment, this organization has shown zero intention of having this guy be a big leaguer as much as they do need it because they do need a left-handed hitter in that lineup or even on the bench. Troy could do it. And, you know, we know the defense is a struggle for him. He could tell you that, but he, he showed improvements for the most part. But again, Barry would very likely be a big leaguer, especially if he gets it going with the bat. If he gets it going with the bat, Jacob Barry could be a big leaguer very soon for this team. He would have that triple A for half the season. Maybe he gets a couple weeks there in 2025 and he's up in the big leagues, especially if he gets it going with the bat and how hitter friendly that triple A ballpark is, which funny enough, it's our background today for any of you uh, watching it on YouTube. But yeah, I mean, third base, man, you have enough of those in the organization, especially if McCann sticks there. Maybe you put Yeedy there at third. Uh, we'll see how what happens on that end. But you have options. You have a lot of infield prospects in this organization. Just put Jacob Berry at first. If you want, it, I mean, at least primarily as a first baseman. And, and he's a switch hitter. So kind of like, a, I wouldn't even say Josh Bell profile. But, you know, eventually that would be a pretty good profile to have. I think he would even have more speed. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely, definitely think this guy should be... Um, should be a first baseman. Um, you know, the power would fit well there as well. Like we said, the power profile. Um, yeah, he, he really, he really does need to, I think be a, a first baseman and this year is big for him. Um, he's rule five eligible in 2025. So after, after 2025, so this is the, uh, the second to last year before eligibility there, it's $6 million buy-in on this player. So you want to see it this year. This is, this is a, a, a big year for, for Jacob Berry. I think this is, um, you talk about make or break players, man. I, I think this could be one, honestly. Yep. Um, you know, I, I know the Marlins have only had him for a little while. Um, you know, after the 2022 draft, he's only been here, what, uh, two seasons. Um, yep. but man, um, he needs to show a lot more. And if he doesn't show uh drastic improvement, I would say with the bat, you know, not that he can't bring it back and do it in 2025. Maybe he can, and that would be great. He's still 22. Fine. He's going to be 23, but you know what I mean? Um, uh, but going on to your age 23 season, um, and still with a lot to prove on both sides of the ball. Um, I think that this guy could be, um, nearing or at a, a, what what should look like a make or break season i would say barry is, is is close to that yep and i think we'll wrap it up here we were going to do the the make or breaks but we're about to hit the hour mark in any minute here so alex is always uh it's always fun hopping on here we got to do this a lot more often we will because spring training you know that's coming up very soon for the marlins they will report i believe on the 15th and at least that is uh pitchers and catchers Minor leagues shouldn't take too long after that. Those guys should be there. We'll be at FanFest. Um, I don't know when this is dropping. Should either be Sunday or Monday. But if it is, it is FanFest week, no matter what, Friday from 4 to 10. Make sure you guys all go out there. Check it out. I will. Uh, Alex will be there. I'll be there. I think Isaac will be there. Uh, almost, I think almost everyone from Fish on First is going to be there. So make sure to go out there, support the Marlins. They always do very well with that event. Uh, I think almost everyone's we're, what we have understood is almost every 40 man guy is going to be there. So you will have their, your, your prospects if you're a prospect lover there. And you know, when you know, when, when you know it, the, the breakout game is coming up soon in March. So we have a lot to look forward to Alex, a lot of backfield content. That's some of the best content you could get from these guys. I would assume these, these international signings, most of them at least will be there unless they don't, if they don't have any visa issues. So you'll get your first looks at someone like Luis Cova possibly and uh, and um, and these pitchers. So, yeah, Alex, anything else on your end before we, we wrap it up? And, yeah, as always, fishonfirst.com. Make sure to check it out. Show us love. You can make your account for free, and that way you can write whatever you want about the Marlins as long as, you know, it isn't defined constraints of uh, good. Or, you know, you, know, you could write it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah, no, um, nothing else on my end, Kev. Uh, it's always a pleasure coming on with you. So thanks for, for putting it together today. It was awesome. Um, your knowledge and expertise of this stuff always impresses me, man. You, you've grown. We talk about players growing in a short time. I think you've grown into your role uh, and being able to knowledgeably talk about this stuff in a very short period of time. So the research that you do and the work that you put in is great. Um, so I appreciate you for everything that you've done for Fish on the Farm, Swimming Upstream, as did on this show again. Great stuff. Uh, yeah, guys, like Kevin said, go make your accounts on the new fishonfirst.com. Great looking site. There's so much power that we can use um, that we didn't have before with Fish on First or that I didn't even, even have when I was at Fish on the Farm. My own website, this website has so much power, so many tools that we can use. Uh, so get in on the ground floor, make your account. If you want to super subscribe, please do that as well. It supports us. Um, check out the new site. It's great. Um, but for now, I think that's it. Me and Kev, like Kev said, we'll have a lot more content related to minor leaguers coming up very, very soon. Um, exciting day for the Marlins. Uh, be excited about Salas. Be excited about these international guys, and we'll see what they're going to do. Yep. So as always, from Alex, myself, we'll see you guys soon. Uh, and as always, uh, go for it.